Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And today we've got a special treat for you. The CEO of Los Angeles Metro, Phil Washington. LA Metro is the second largest transit system in America behind New York City. He represents uh, transit in the largest county in America of Los Angeles. Phil Washington's become a good friend of mine and is one of the top leaders and most respected leaders in our country today when it comes to public transportation. On today's episode, we talked to him about his transit agency and some of the developments that are going on with a new school that he's developing. That's right. He's developing a high school for students to train them in transportation. It's going to be an amazing thing. Nothing else like it is happening in America or anywhere in the world, as far as I know. We also talk about the coronavirus pandemic and uh, their response to it in LA, how much money they got through the federal stimulus package and how long that will last. Hint, not long. (laughs) And uh, we also talk about some other amazing developments, capital programs that are still going on there in the Los Angeles area by one of the most respected leaders of one of the largest transit systems in the world. And clearly the largest transit system in America represents in a county that big of Los Angeles County. You're going to love this interview with Phil Washington, my good friend and leader of our transit industry. Enjoy. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. All right, I'm with Phil Washington, leader of uh, one of our nation's largest transit systems, uh, LA Metro, CEO of that, uh, who also runs uh, the roads and all kinds of things in LA. Phil, thanks so much for being with us today on the podcast. Well, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here, and thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. So um, I guess I always like to start off with, tell us a little bit about the scope of your responsibilities and your agency and what, what it is you all do in Los Angeles, California. Well, we are responsible. Uh, we are the builder, the funder, the planner, and the operator for the largest county in America, a county of 10 plus million people. Mm. We have 11,000 employees And we are governed by a 13-member board of directors that includes the county, all five county supervisors, the mayor of Los Angeles, and other mayors in and around the county. So large operation. We carry on a normal weekday, uh, pre-COVID, I should say, about 1.3 million people a day. We also have uh, express toll operation. We fund highway, as you mentioned a a minute ago, we fund highway improvements. Uh, So we do everything that is really surface transportation here in L.A. County. You know, you mentioned the mayor of Los Angeles. I, I got to hear him speak at an event you had out there, and I was very impressed with his Eric Garcetti, right? Yes, yes, uh, Eric Garcetti, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a commotion event that was held out in L.A., and I was just, this guy's got his, uh, got his finger on the pulse of what we need for transit, I think. So you're, you're very blessed to have somebody like there who, who understands and values public transit. Absolutely. He's been a wonderful advocate and a supporter of, of transit, and, and not just transit here in L.A. County, but uh, nationally. He is very, very active with the mayor's of the uh, of the country, and I believe he's still the vice chair 
of mobility and transportation for the mayors okay. uh, all over the United States. So it's a big deal. That's He's awesome. great. Before we get into COVID, could you give me a quick update? One of the most impressive things I think that you've done in your role there as, as head of the transit system is the school that you were working on for young people to kind of, you know, help get them interested in public transportation. Could you give our listeners an update on what you've been doing there? Yes, this is something that's very, very important to me and to us, to my board as well. So we have always thought that we need to grow our own in the transportation infrastructure space. I've always been concerned about the shortage of uh, labor in the transportation infrastructure space, whether that is building or operating our infrastructure here in LA County and the rest of the country. And so we built a career pathway model that I call sort of a cradle to grave model that can allow a person to matriculate all the way through the transportation infrastructure uh, industry, all the way up to CEO and or executive. And the one thing we were missing in that cradle to grave approach was hitting the kids, you know, before they become intern age and all of that, college intern age. And so our thought was to start a school. And so that school is designed grades 9 to 12, a boarding school concept that really focuses on transportation infrastructure, focuses, uh, prioritizes the kids in the foster care system, low-income kids, kids whose parents have been exposed or engaged in the criminal justice system. And having these kids in a school in South Los Angeles, the middle of an urban area, and teach them and create a curriculum about transportation infrastructure. So we're going to break ground on that school in August or September. We already have the land. We have $150 million between LA Metro and the county for the first 15 years operating funds. So we're well on our way to creating what I call Los Angeles as the center of transportation excellence in this country. And what grades will be in that school? Uh, Grades 9 to 12. We will start with um, the ninth grade uh, the first year uh, when the school is built. And we're building this from the ground up. There will be a supermarket in what is otherwise a food desert in South Central L.A., We are looking at affordable housing right there on that school area, plus a training center for the community and a transit plaza because the site of the school goes. uh, We have a major bus rapid transit project that we're working on. So it's a major thoroughfare here in Los Angeles. So we're very, very excited about it. And we'll add a grade each year. Oh, like going down like eight, seven, six kind of a thing. Well, well, we'll start with ninth graders, and then the next year, those ninth graders will be 10th graders. And I see. Another ninth grade class. Oh, that's yeah. really good. 482 kids when it's all said and done in a four-year school. And will it be managed by the Board of Ed or managed by you all or a joint effort? We have a contractor who will uh, run the school, and that contractor we have already uh, selected. It's called the Seed Foundation. 
and they will run the school. They have an arrangement through the county with us as uh, providing oversight as well. And so the curriculum uh, for these high yep. school students, tell me a little bit about that, what the game plan mm-hmm. is. Like it'll be a little baby uh, bridge engineering or, or what kind of stuff we're talking about here? We help design the curriculum uh, with the contractor. It will be engineering. It will be planning, going through the planning process, uh, environmental, NEPA, CEQA. I mean, all of these things. I mean, it, it, I, mean I can't yeah. wait to yeah. have a 14 or 15 year old talking to me about the NEPA process. Isn't it something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> NTD reporting, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's going to be fun, but we designed the curriculum and this is teaching kids about public private partnerships. Uh, this is teaching kids about how we uh, should be looking to transfer risk to the private sector and talking about how funding is, uh, is set up on these various projects. And of course, the maintenance piece, the maintenance and all of that. So this is going to be incredible. And these kids will enter that career pathway. So when they graduate from high school, they will enter into the next stage of the career pathway that is internships at various government institutions, not just LA Metro, but water, the aviation space. Oh, wow. Uh, and with contractors that are doing work with us, uh, we will require them, just like a small business goal, to take some of these kids on. So it's exciting. I mean, these kids are going to be graduating, going right into uh, the transportation infrastructure industry and space. Well, wow, that's just amazing. I can't tell you how excited I am about that. It's just, there's nothing else. I've never heard or seen anything like this anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, I just uh, commend you so much. And and the... the um, foresight of you and your leadership team there to come up with something like this. I mean, just phenomenal on so many levels, you know, just the other big thing that I've worked on it is, you know, I've been elected official here in in Maryland out on the East coast. And one of the big things I was pushing for was not every kid has to go to college. You know, (laughs) we we need to create a good career path for, for young people where they can go right from high school into the trades and now also into transportation, but be well-trained. So it's phenomenal. Absolutely. If you ever need a guest lecture for any of the classes, I volunteer. <laughs> Come in. And- okay. we, yeah, we, I, we we will tap you for that because <laughs> you know we're going to have uh, assemblies. You remember assemblies? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I couldn't wait for an assembly so I could get out of class. That's so there right. you go. Yeah. I just saw a comedian talking about that this week about assemblies. Hey. Oh. um, so, you know, again, before we get into COVID and all, you have so many amazing capital projects you're working on, and I know you're continuing to do so even during this COVID era. Can you tell us about, you know, Measure M and, and kind of the status of these 45, whatever big projects you've got going and just kind of an overview of that, where we're at on all that? Yeah, I mean, we have the largest capital program in North America, and, you know, I heard Peter Rogoff, my friend, say he had the largest one up in Seattle. I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we have the largest one in North America. And what makes ours the largest in North America is, one, the projects, of course, that uh, we have in our schedule, 18 projects, major projects, multi-billion dollar projects. 
in the first 15 years of this measure and 40 in the first 40 years. So not only do those mega projects make us the largest, but the fact that we have no sunset and this sales tax, at least Measure M, does not end unless voters decide to end it, really make us the largest because this thing will go on and on and on. You can't build something and not maintain it, which is the reasoning and the justification that we went out to voters and voters understood that, uh, which is why we have no sunset. But the projects that we are building now are going to change the face of Los Angeles. Uh, We have one mega project, the, the largest, is something called the Sepulveda Pass, which is through the the mountains of Sepulveda Pass. And this will likely be an underground subway rail line through the mountains, likely, or aerial. I mean, we'll we'll, uh, look at all kinds of innovative approaches. And so that is one. We are building also an airport where rail will uh, connect to the airport. We're building that right now. We're building a line out west to through UCLA and to the VA hospital, uh, the VA hospital on the west side that is really caring for our military veterans. There are more military veterans in the state of California than any other state. Mm. And I'm a military veteran myself. So so all of these projects, uh, the Sepulveda Pass project that I mentioned, That project is really of regional and national significance. And I think I point to two projects, not to undercut any other projects around the country, but I equate that Sepulveda Pass project that will go from the northern stretches of L.A. County all the way down to the airport eventually, a total of probably about 30 miles or so. It is the most congested corridor in terms of cars in America. Wow. And so I equate that project in its significance to the Gateway Project in New York. And I think when you start thinking about mega transportation projects, you point to those two that really have regional and national significance. So we have, we're managing now about $20 billion in projects right now with another dozen or so that's coming online in the next three years or so. Has the COVID-19 crisis slowed any of those down or are you slowing down on any of your other projects, capital projects as a result of it? Well, yes, a lot of this will be deferred for a little bit as we study this thing. Now, we know that uh, sales tax revenue is the primary source of of all of our revenue. And so with the stay-at-home order and people actually abiding by the stay-at-home order, well, it stands to reason people are not buying stuff. Right. And so that is impacting our sales tax revenue. We are looking at uh, sort of a six-month period to start with and looking at the impacts of the COVID-19 over that six months. And what we see just preliminarily is a loss of about $800 million Mm. uh, just on sales tax alone. Obviously, this is a large county, the largest in America. And so when, when you start thinking about the revenues that are generated through sales tax, it's pretty incredible. So we're looking at about $800 million in losses over 
between now uh, and September or when this started, let's say March 1 and September 30th, we're also looking at, we've had huge ridership declines. So in fare box revenue, we're looking at between 19 and $23 million in losses from fare box revenue. So when you add both those things, we have massive losses. But at the same time, we are thinking about recovery. We are standing up a recovery and restoration task force. That's wonderful. Uh, And uh, we are doing that right now because we believe that we are looking right now at the new normal. The new normal, read an article last week where folks were saying they had not seen this clean of the L.A. air since 1980 or something. Right. I read that too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at things that, you know, unfortunately, you know, are are a result of COVID-19. But how many of these things can we adopt permanently, even in the midst of this COVID-19? So part of that recovery is to look at what new tools or approaches, clean air, less congestion, fewer accidents, fewer fatalities on the road, rear door boarding, how we deal with the homeless. All of these things we're looking at to see how we can adopt and, you know, adopt some of these things in our permanent sort of recovery mode. So we're excited about that, even in the midst of this pandemic. That's wonderful. I'd like to actually talk a little about those in just a moment, but back to the beginning of your conversation about the funding levels, having sales tax, and of course, across America, many agencies are in the same boat as you are in that they rely so heavily on sales tax to fund their, you know, their operating dollars. So is the, uh, the federal funding that's coming out of Washington as part of the $2 trillion stimulus, they provided $25 billion to transit and about 23 of that to urban areas. How is that going to assist you, do you think? Is it enough? And how long do you think it will last? How much did you get? Those kind of things. Well, I mean, uh, preliminarily, now we know that this will be distributed using the existing 5307 formulaic program but the revenue loss that we are experiencing is permanent. We're not going to make that up. It's going to significantly stunt our projects moving forward. So as I understand the 5307 program, I mean, this money is, is primarily operational money. It, it's going to go to the operations losses, if you will. Yeah. Kind of make so, it up. Yeah. That's right. And so we are looking at about a billion dollars from the CARE Act stimulus. Okay. Now, yeah, I mean, and that sounds like a lot of money, but... Yeah, but you already um, said you're going to be down $800 million by, uh, by October, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. And we are, as you know, when we talked at the beginning about, you know, what we are responsible for, we are a funder as well. So now we have to divvy out money to the 17 smaller muni bus uh, operators in L.A. County. We also have to fund the commuter rail operation. We talk about a billion dollars, but we are affectionately known as Mother Metro um, (laughs) as well. So, so, yeah, so we're going to be 
divvying out a lot of that. So I've told my board that our losses will exceed anything we get out of the CARES program. We know that. I know that. And we're going to have to make some tough decisions on where that money goes. And it's, it's primarily to operations. But, and so if that is the case, then our projects out there with Measure M and all of that are going to be looking at deferrals. Interesting. So I just heard today from a colleague overseas who was looking at the raw data from Wuhan, China's ridership of their public transit system. And you may have seen uh, my colleague, David Zipper, who uh, is a visiting fellow at Harvard, had done an article last week. And I've talked to him um, as we're working on an article together on, uh, on how to recover. And some of the comments that you make today on this podcast, I think I'll include there how American transit systems are recovering. About three weeks ago, they were at 65% of their normal ridership on public transit in Wuhan. And as of this week, they're up to 80%. And they mm. do have in place requirements for every everybody to wear a mask. And they're also having them which I have a little concern about my libertarian side of me, that everybody has their own QR code and they're having to tap it when they get on the bus so they can track who's going where uh, and mm. to see if you've been in contact with someone who had it. But to me, the overall number of 80% only a month post pandemic is a positive sign. And it's, these are actual, he's getting the raw data feed from them. So it's not, you know, propaganda, I don't think. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, on the recovery? I mean, personally, I think that the commuter services are going to be uh, who have been hardest hit. Uh, I was just talking with Kevin Quinn this morning from MTA in Maryland, and he said some of their bus routes are down to 3% of their regular ridership, their commuter bus routes, 97% reduction in ridership because people just are all working from home. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling that a lot of companies will say, you know what? I think instead of coming into the office every day, you can probably come in, you know, two or three times a week and we'll mm-hmm. we figured out how to make this kind of telecommuting thing work. I can reduce the amount of rented office space. We can do shared space when you get in, those kind of things. And that will have a longer term impact. Whereas on regular public transit, light rail subways, I think a lot of them, a lot of folks need that service and they're going to have to come back on it. I mean, any, any general thoughts from you on that topic? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, all the above that you <laughs> just mentioned, I mean, yeah. So I think it's going to be a mix of things, right? This new normal, this new mobility normal, I think will be more folks working at, from home. It's also going to be, I think, a change in travel patterns. So a lot of people will say, you know what? I'm not going to go in during the typical peak period mm. uh, of 7 or 7.30. I'm coming in at 10. Where there's less people on the bus. Less people on the bus and on the train. So, I mean, what does that do for our peak periods, right? I think that it's going to be a mix of people having to come back because they need to come back because of what could be a recession that comes out of this. So people are going to lose their jobs. And so you're still going to have that. There's going to be a slow recovery of the economy and and restaurants are going to be slow, I think, to bring people back because people are going to be slow to go out to restaurants and movies and sporting events and all these big crowds. So, so I think it's going to be a mix. I do think eventually people will come back, but just culturally now, what does that mean with regard to social distancing on our buses and trains? I mean, in Wuhan, it's a whole different kind of, culture going on, you know, with people 
and all of that. So I'm, I'm interested and I've asked our recovery team to look at how we ramp service back up because we're not going to wake up one day and put all the service back out on that next day. Right. We're going to ramp up in a very, very deliberate way and open things up incrementally as we go. And so this is going to be interesting because does the social distancing police show up to check our buses and does that become some sort of performance measure, the social distancing performance measure now? I don't know. So people are going to be very antsy about coming back. But what we do know, and this has nothing to do with transit, but I was thinking about this the other day and I was talking to somebody. You know what? People need people. And I can understand now, you know, when you talk about social distancing and all that, people feel alone in big places now. And I can understand now why Adam needed Eve. Yeah. And I can actually understand why Eve was created <laughs> because man needed a companion. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so God has made so us social creatures, as they say, you know? We're social animals. Yeah. yeah. But back to transit. Yeah, no. Well, it's a very valid point. A couple thoughts. I'd like your input on this. So staying on that theme, it's almost like, you know, in in ancient Israel, they had what was called a year of Jubilee, once every 50 years, where they would push the reset button. All the property went back to the original owners. People wouldn't work the, the land anymore that year. They just ate the crops that came out of the field. Debts were forgiven. And it has a feeling like that for me. I don't, you know, none of us like having to be kind of closed in and, and uh, kept at home, you know, where the well are quarantined, whereas normally in past pandemics, it's been the sick that are quarantined. But to prevent the spread, we've had the social distancing theory implemented. But it is an opportunity to kind of pause and reflect about what needs to come next. I was talking with um, Inez Evans earlier today from Indigo, mm-hmm. the CEO there. Yeah. And she was saying that, you know, Paul, we had some plans for some things we wanted to do but maybe the ridership levels won't be there to support it. Uh, and uh, are the feds going to say something about that, you know? And so other people were in the midst of doing a, a bus uh, network rebooting and mm-hmm. uh, changing the routes where people wanted to go. And like you said, people's, uh, people's behaviors might change. They may spread out the times that they want to ride. And so we may need to, ex- you know, so what are your thoughts on that as, as a moment to pause and reflect and reorient toward what a new normal might be? Any other thoughts on that? I agree with you. I I would say that, you know, I hate doing it because of COVID-19, because people, you know, are are unfortunately uh, dying and and sick. I hate the reason we're doing it, but I do believe that there should be sort of a a relook every so often. I mean, we were one of those agencies that were doing our next-gen reboot of our entire system, a massive effort, a two-year effort, wiping the slate clean in terms of the service and the routes and everything that we've done in the past. And, and, and I know that my friend Tom Lambert in Houston sort of kicked it off in Houston. So we, we're, we're doing the same thing on a much larger scale. But I, I do think that um, there should be a reboot. And, you know, unfortunately, we're doing it under these circumstances, but some of the considerations, the reduction considerations uh, that we're doing now, I mean, we're looking at a hiring freeze. We're looking at uh, eliminating agency-wide overtime. Uh, We're looking at um, uh, our our contingent workforce. Um, 
Uh, we're looking at all of these things. And I think sometimes we have to do that. We have to take a look at our entire system and do a reboot. Mm, that's good. As we close today, maybe uh, talk about your people and the employees and kind of a message of hope and, and for our industry as a whole. If, you know, you, you really are now, now with Andy gone in New York, you're the longest ten, tenured, you know, top CEO in our industry. Any thoughts for the industry as a whole as we move out of this? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, you know, I hate the distinction of being the longest tenure. I don't know what that's <laughs> my future, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah. no, I, well, first of all, I think the understanding and recognizing the importance of our frontline folks, and that is not just transits frontline folks, but how about the healthcare folks? Yeah, how about uh, it? That oh my God! I mean, the nurses and the doctors, and how about the super the folks that's working in the supermarket? All these, I mean, our economy is built on those frontline folks, and transit is moving those frontline folks, which makes us the foundation of the foundation. And so, I think this idea. If we did not appreciate our frontline folks now, then my God, we ought to in a big, big way. And I think I, you know, I I point to them and I've said to all of my 11,000 employees that I have two priorities right now in this COVID-19 scenario and calamity that we're going through. One is to make sure the system is safe for our riders. And the second is to make sure that there is as little as possible impact on my workforce. Mm. And what does that mean? That means I am going to, my first priority is to preserve jobs in this agency. And I am unapologetic about articulating those two priorities. I don't want to lay anybody off and I don't want to furlough nobody. I understand what it means to pay a mortgage and to go grocery shopping. We've got food lines out here and I'm sure it's in, you know, especially back East, it's incredible. Economists are predicting 20% unemployment in this country. And so Those are my two top priorities. And I told uh, my entire workforce just that yesterday. That is my priority to preserve jobs, preserve the workforce. And that is probably my top priority, along with ensuring a safe system for our riders. That's wonderful. What a, what, a, what a great message. And I think, as you kind of uh, so eloquently said, our frontline troops in the transit industry and in the medical industry and in the other essential services have really become our new American heroes. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Thank you, Phil Washington, for being with us today on this special Transit Unplugged uh, podcast. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Paul. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.